This is the Constructionist Podcast, where we take ancient stories, the person of Jesus, current events and topics, and help you construct a new Christian worldview that's relevant and loving to those around you. I'm your host, Kevin Bates. I'm a semiotician and community builder looking at the signs of the times to build a better future together. Welcome to the Constructionist, Bot Pro- Constructionist Podcast. I can't talk tonight, but that's okay. I'll get used to it. In tonight's episode, we're going to be discussing the life of Christ. And as host of this podcast, we strive to provide you with relevant and compassionate worldviews and a framework that will help guide you through your own life. We desire for you to put that together yourself. So we, in, we believe that in order to achieve this, it's important to get our house in order. So we are looking through the book of Mark, getting our house in order, learning different spiritual concepts and different ideas that Jesus gives us for our lives currently. So this means that learning to love, care for ourselves, care for our neighbor, care for those around us is essential. And it's essential not only for our spiritual lives to love ourselves so that we can love others, but also to love God so that we can love self. We encourage a worldview that is built on the principles of Christ. And in this episode, we will examine the life of Christ through, and I have to be honest, it's going to be a clear and very vulnerable sometimes, um, progressive sometimes, some things you might not have heard of before, but we're going to be very honest We're not going to make anything up. We're not going to just kind of throw you a hot bag of chips and say um, this is the truth when we don't know it um, or that we're unsure. So we're going to say we don't know or we're unsure when it's appropriate to do so. So we hope to offer insights and perspectives that will help you in your own journey towards a greater understanding of Jesus, love and compassion um, for yourself and for other people. Tonight's episode, again, we're not going to fabricate anything. And as many have done um, with information and ideas, especially lately that I've seen in different podcasts and different uh, broadcasts and actually um, live on Sunday mornings where people make up things. So we're going to be honest. We're going to be authentic. We're going to give you a perspective, examine that perspective, and we're going to give you all sides of the perspective, not just not just one. So in previous episodes, we've discussed the potential pitfalls of deconstruction without constructing. So when we deconstruct something, if we don't have anything that we're headed towards, don't have any goals that we're shooting for, that we will end up exactly the same as what we were trying to deconstruct in the first place. So this is our thinking space to create those new ideas, to create those new thoughts, presenting practical thoughts, practical ideas, theologies for daily life. And so we aim to uh, provide a platform for authentic discussions on relevant topics. And so tonight that's what we're doing. And so I hope that you can find that space here to do so and to explore such things and in practical ways apply these ideas to your own context. So the life of Christ through the book of Mark. And if you enjoy 
the Constructionist Podcast and you want to financially support us, you can by following the link in the chat or the show notes that we will post in the social media platform in all the um, all the ones that you listen to and and view and you can go to our give page and you will support your support will enable us to continue producing high quality content like this and we hope that you do so more importantly though we want to hear from you you can direct message us we will talk to you we'll review your questions we will answer those questions as they come in the questions will not be public they won't be live and so we are going to take those privately so if you have something that you want to share um, just to us personally, we will do so. And uh, any prayer requests that you have, we want to sh we want you to share those as well. And also just thoughts and questions about what we're talking about. We want to continue and learn and grow together. And so by interacting with us, that's more important than anything that we could ask for uh, here. So don't hesitate to reach out to us during the week as well. So if you listen to this during the week, we want to interact with you and hear what you think. All right, so this topic, The Life of Christ, we believe, as others, other podcasts that we've done in previous episodes, we've claimed that we're not experts. We're not psychologists or counselors. We're not uh, professionals in these areas. Those topics, we just had open discussions and brought some professionals in to help us through navigating the journey through those uh, topics. This topic, though, we feel, think, perceive that we are a little more expert in. We have a little more knowledge. We've studied a lot more. So Sherea Bodner has her master's degree in theology. Jake Flug has his master's degree in theology. I also have my doctorate in semiotics and theology, master's degree in theology. So we feel like we're a little bit learned. We can put some things together to present to you in a uh, research-based um, uh a platform and think through it together, the three of us, and give you something very meaningful. So we're going to start out in Mark chapter five. That's what we're going to start reading. But before we start, just want to give a small introduction. I actually believe that the book of Mark is a signaling. It's almost a retelling, but we get into the signaling motifs where topics are brought up or situations are given, whether that be like tonight, we're going to see Jesus walking on water or the hemorrhaging woman, or we're going to see the raising of the dead. And all those topics are signaling, either they're signaling to the past or signaling to the future. And so as Jesus walks on water, the water reminds me of something. It reminds me and it would remind a Jewish person, a a person that would memorize the Torah, it would remind them of the Exodus. And so Mark is claimed to be a retelling or a signaling book to help people remember the Exodus in different forms and these stories crafted in a way that would remind us of water, remind us of blood over the door, remind us of different different, um, different actions in the Exodus. But it's also a future telling. It's also a signaling of the future, the raising of the dead, we see Jesus's resurrection, that we will all be resurrected in the future, um, in the in the end. And so those kinds of topics, we have to look through a semiotic lens, looking for signs, looking for meaning, giving this book meaning that it was intended to have, embodying that meaning, applying it to our lives. And how does how do these topics really um, really form and really can transform. So we have uh, 
different hmm, disciplines, I guess I'll say, disciplines of information processing. And so we can reform, we can auto-reform, or we can transform. So when we reform something, we take something old and reshape it. When we auto-reform information or situations or experience, when we auto-reform, we just let it happen. We just let life happen around us and we just become a part of it. Things just auto-reform. We see that a lot with language. We see that a lot with how language changes and we just adopt this new language. So words lose their meaning, gain a new meaning over a long period of time. That's auto-reformation. Reformation is when we intentionally do it and we just change it. Uh, but transformation is what the Bible talks about. Transformation is the being transformed, the renewal of your mind. So it's using the mind to rethink and deconstruct and construct and to find new meaning and new realities and new, new, um, new realities that we can adopt what these scriptures mean for us uh, today. So we are in the transformation process. We're not necessarily in the reformation process or the auto reform process. We're in the transformation process. And so we are looking at the book of Mark uh, very carefully, historically, um, finding meaning and finding real meaning. A lot of pastors and leaders and theologians have taken such things as the book of Mark and they speak in a lot of metaphysics where everything is spiritualized. Um, I can give you examples of that all over the Bible where we've made every passage about salvation or we've made every passage about heaven or eternal life in the future of some kind. So we take the passage and we got to remember that these were these were documents that were given to people, usually a part of groups of people. They were they were documents given to them to guide them, teach them and help transform them in community of that day so they took they took to heart these these messages as this is something for me today that i can apply today so instead of talking about metaphysics like the metaphysical like the spiritual or the hyper spiritual or the otherworldly like speaking in the clouds and making this something that you know just is talking about salvation or talking about jesus didn't talk in metaphysics jesus talked in mustard seeds and in the mustard seed parables, Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like a vineyard. The kingdom of God is like a fig tree. So he used very tangible, real feet on the ground, illustrations, metaphors to talk about spiritual realities of that day, not something of some future thing that we can just hope for to blow off the earth one day and be with God forever. Salvation, what he was talking about, was today. So Jesus enters into the picture, and he's actually ushering in something very real, that today is the year of Jubilee that he is ushering in. And so the people of the day were threatened by the year of Jubilee. So all captives would be released, all prisoners, all slaves would be released, all debts would be paid. There's no more loans. Uh, the land would go back to the original owner uh, before the, the, or the, the, in the last Jubilee. So that is a real economic threat. It's a real cultural threat, a real economic threat that the people of the day, Jesus walking around, talking the way that he did, 
um, illustrating, uh, using metaphors like he did. That was a real threat to the leaders of the day, the economic, spiritual, religious leaders of that day, Sadducees and the Pharisees. So they, in the end, didn't want him around. And so they tried to get rid of him. And so that's, that is how they tried to solve the issue. But the message continues. The message of the people that the, the people held uh, stayed with them, and they were beginning to usher in the year of jubilee: sell all your possessions and give to the poor, meeting in homes, all the things that they did, sharing in food, passing out the bread, passing out the fish. We're going to read all about that here in a minute. So, with that, um, as I fix my audio again, with that, let's do some reading. And Mark 5. Sherea, do you want to read? Yeah. Let's start out with Mark 5, 21. All right. Jesus crossed the lake again, and on the other side, a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Jairus, one of the synagogue leaders, came forward. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded with him, My daughter is about to die. Please come and place your hands on her so that she can be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A swarm of people were following Jesus, crowding in on him. A woman was there who had been bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a lot under the care of many doctors and had spent everything she had without getting any better. In fact, she had gotten worse. Because she had heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothes. She was thinking... If I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Her bleeding stopped immediately, and she sensed in her body that her illness had been healed. Mm. At that very moment, Jesus recognized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, Don't you see the crowd pressing against you? Yet you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus looked around carefully to see who had done it. The woman full of fear and trembling, came forward. Knowing what had happened to her, she fell down in front of Jesus and told him the whole truth. He responded, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace, healed from your disease. While Jesus was still speaking with her, messengers came from the synagogue's leaders, synagogue leader's house, saying to Jairus, Your daughter has died. Why bother the teacher any longer? But Jesus overheard their report and said to the synagogue leaders, Don't be afraid, just keep trusting. He didn't allow anyone to follow him except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. When they came to the synagogue leader's house, and he saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly, he went in and said to them, What's all this commotion and crying about? The child isn't dead, she's only sleeping. They laughed at him, but he threw them all out. Then taking the child's parents and his disciples with him, he went to the room where the child was. Taking her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means young woman, get up. Suddenly, the young woman got up and began walking around. She was 12 years old. They were shocked. He gave them strict orders that no one should know what had happened. Then he told them to give her something to eat. All right, let's unpack that. There's a lot of things in there. Can Rob, can you put up that first slide, which starts at verse 21? Jesus crossed the lake again. Crossed the lake again. Go ahead and take that down. 
So when I read that, that's like a signal to me. And I just want to unpack that. So we're crossing a lake. Why is that important? That's that to me, there's something there that uh, we need to find. Any thoughts on crossing the lake? Well, I can at least orient us in the story first. Yes. So last week we ended with um, Jesus and the disciples crossing the lake, meeting a demoniac, casting the demons out into some pigs. Um, there's some metaphorical layers in there. Um, and so as we pick the story back up, Jesus is just heading back across the lake. Nothing there, just going back and forth across the lake. I don't know. I just feel like there's I think I'm going to fix my audio. Oh, okay. Both, both of y'all need to fix your audio, but it's all good. How's my um, audio now, Jake? Is it good? Not, not good at all. So the now? idea <laughs> of moving back and forth in water, um, okay. I think you have a few things. One is baptism. One is in and out of community. And the other is water is going to is going to play a very central theme in the the gospel of mark because it shows it shows power and we just got out of a story of uh, the disciples afraid of the storm and who is mm -hmm. this that even even the wind and the waves obey and so you have an idea of of deep power power outside of of the natural um uh it's interesting as well when when Mark describes Jesus going from side of lake to side of lake to back to Decapolis and then back and forth, um, it almost like he switches from from Hellenistic Greek culture to to uh, Jewish culture every time it's across the lake. And so now we're actually going back into Hellenistic culture because Jarius, I believe, is not a Jew. So crossing the lake or the lake. Are you muted? Can you hear me now? Yeah. So Jake can't hear me, but Sherea can hear me. Can the audience hear you is the question. <laughs> I don't know. Jake, can you hear me? I can hear you now. Okay, your earbuds, there's something happening there. All good. So, so what a night the, for audio. Yeah, so the crossing <laughs> of the lake, I see that as the lake is always like symbolizing power. And so the crossing over <laughs> power, the symbolism there um is not is not uh lost. So I mean, why didn't Jesus just, why was the story not about Jesus just walking to a different place or, you know, just going to a different area? Um, it's the crossing over water that's symbolic from, you know, the, the uh, well, almost like the Noahic story, the Noah story mm -hmm. of, of the boat, the water, that's power. Um, you see Moses, God through Moses and the staff having, uh, having power over the power. So dominance over the power and the crossing of the Red Sea and the splitting of the water. You see Jesus in the waves, calming the waves, having power over that. Now crossing over 
that idea of crossing over to me, um, because it says it several times, it's not just once. And so even if it's twice, it means something more than just like, a, hey, that was fun. Um, so Jesus is crossing from, you're right, Jake, it seems that Jesus is crossing from one cultural context to another cultural context, but what keeps them separate is power. And so mm -hmm. Jesus is crossing mm -hmm. over that power dynamic that's happening between two people, two peoples. So just, yeah, just a thought. It's, it's like a, with... it's like a scene change with the yes. same uh region he's not mm -hmm. the lake's not very big no no i think you can you can always see to the other side right right well you think about just water in general um water is so symbolic of cleansing it's so symbolic of salvation it's symbolic of of all kinds of things and so jesus crossing over the water you know, there is, if Jesus is the savior and he's taking these two cultures and, and doing things on either side, mm -hmm. right? So we're saving this side. We're saving this side by crossing over water. That just is too, to me, too, um, I don't know, maybe, Juicy. maybe my head's in the clouds a little bit, but it's just too symbolic for me to gloss over. Anyway, that was, that was a fraction of verse 21. So we should probably <laughs> continue. Um, where are we at in that passage? <laughs> so we yeah, talk about the hemorrhaging about woman to... is next, which yeah, the hemorrhaging <laughs> woman. Yeah. So Jake, what did you think of that? Like, uh, context wise, the, if she was hemorrhaging, she would not be allowed into normal civic mm -hmm. areas, normal civic duties, normal civic, just, uh, economics. And so this person that really strived to get healed for a very long time that was outside of then this culture was able to be healed in the and how she was healed was just the faith of touching the fringe of the cloak. Um, yeah. I think there's other stories of the shadow of Peter falling on people and they were healed. So like, it's mm -hmm. kind of the same, mm -hmm. the same thought as well. Um, if we're going to tie it back to the Exodus narrative, did you want to do that now, Kevin? I mean, we can, it's Go obvious it. that there's something. So when I, when I see water, when I see fire, when I see trees, when I see, um, dirt that when those things are talked about in, in scripture, especially to Hebrew people, um, and the, the message that, that contains Hebrew people, the, the Jew, Jewish people, um, it just, it just means something more than just a word on the page. And so uh, our religion, Christianity, suffers from, uh, the, from grammatology, where we have taken um, just the grammar at face value and just said, well, you know, the Bible says it right there, you know, but, but honestly... Uh, the Bible was not written in English and it wasn't written in a uh, American context. It wasn't written in a modern context. 
It was written in a very Eastern context. It was written in that area, the Holy Land area. And so that context, but 2000 years ago context. So when it comes to, well, if I can, if I can snap in a little bit, Kevin, while you fix your audio, um, yeah. Mark was probably written in Rome. Yes, mm-hmm. but and so and so the context Jewish people, would, yeah, context would have been outside of, outside of. Uh, sorry, Chuck just texted me. Um, context would be outside of there, but like even they are trying to guess at their best mm-hmm. at what was happening at that time because it was written down probably seventy years after Jesus died, right? Well, yeah, but I'm just saying that it includes Jewish context. Mm -hmm. It it includes this these ideas. So you think about well, okay, so it's written to Gentile or in a Gentile situation. It makes more sense to retell the Exodus in a very like common language way, um, or at least signal back to the Exodus. That's all I was saying with that. So when I see dirt, when I see water, when I see fire, there's something more that even a Gentile would understand too. I mean, there's, there's mystical, mythical stories in, um, Roman Greek, uh, Mm -hmm. mythology that definitely water, fire, dirt, you know, lands, trees, you know, definitely signals as well. Every, Um, every, every culture has a creation narrative. Every culture has a flood narrative. Right. Every culture right. has a has a some type of redemptive narrative. Um, right. So when I see blood, yeah, go even if it's written in a gentile for a gentile context, in a gentile context, the signaling there would take me back to blood. And so, what I mean, could we pick something else besides a hemorrhaging woman to talk about? You know, this idea. I mean, what is why is that story picked out? Why why is that story emphasized with blood? I mean, we could have had a healing of a woman that couldn't hear or couldn't see, but it was blood. So so the hemorrhaging woman to me signals back to if it's a signaling signals back to two either one of two options the river of blood which the river of blood is an actual signaling of the death of the firstborn that were drowned so that that river of blood is a signaling forward but then also the uh the uh... it's gonna be a cliffhanger <laughs> So, <laughs> oh gosh, Kevin, you coming back now? So the idea is that this story then becomes the a retelling of the Exodus narrative that that God then is in control and in power, and we are going into a recreation time, and we're actually going to see it a little more here soon. The here I am back. Hello. Hello. Sorry. I don't know what's happening with my internet You're tonight. You're fine. Hopefully we'll it's gonna be okay. We're gonna the, till the end. Can you hear me well? Yes, you're fine. 
Okay, what were we talking about while you the uh, river the river of blood <laughs> the river of blood and I I and, went into re recreation. Yeah, so the river of blood. Did you hear the signaling forward and the signaling back? No. Okay, so was, the river of blood wouldn't it be the signaling forward to the death of the firstborn? So so we have the signaling forward in the river of blood because children would have died. Um, and then we have then the doorpost blood. So the blood put over the doorpost and blood in ancient literature was a signal of where people lived. Mm -hmm. And so where did this woman live? Like where was her home? Um, and so that has been kind of an ancient literature for a long time that the blood uh, symbolism is people's like home. So in a sense, I would say that this is much more of a metaphor um, or much more of a signaling than we think and possibly the doorpost signaling. That's all I was going to say about that, that just yeah. kind of hearkening back to that doorpost. And these, these stories are put together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Especially when you look at, okay, so this home hemorrhaging woman couldn't have children. Right. Going into a child dying, going into the resurrection. And so if you follow that motif through it as well, you have, you have the river of blood, the death of the firstborn, and then the, the resurrection of those, of those children. Right. Right. So that's the hemorrhaging woman. Um, do you have anything else to the cloak would have been like the, 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 um, the name of Christ would have been put on that cloak. So touching the clothes again, we have that touching of the mm -hmm. cloak meant mm -hmm. touching the identity of Christ. Yeah. We move forward. I think, I think, we dug through yeah. that one enough. Okay. All right. So Jerry is his daughter, right? Yeah. Same, mm -hmm. same right. section, just... Go ahead, Shrey. Yeah. I mean, I think we're right back to that idea of the blood over the door frame and passing over the house and the firstborn being saved. Yeah. It's a good narrative. I like it. It's, yeah. It solves some things. <laughs> It does. It does. All right. So let's go to that next section then. Jake, do you want to read Jesus, that for us? Yep. Jesus left that place and came to his hometown. His disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach the synagogue. Many who heard him were surprised. Where did this man get all this? I don't know what this is, but it's okay. What's the wisdom he's been given? What about the powerful acts and accomplished through him? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't he Mary's son and the brother of James? Joseph, I almost said Hoses, Judah and Simon. Aren't his sisters here with us? They were repulsed by him and fell into sin. Jesus said to them, prophets are honored everywhere except their hometowns among their relatives and in their own households. But he was unable to do any miracles there except the, that he placed his hands in a few sick people and healed them. He was appalled by disbelief. Then Jesus traveled through the surrounding villages teaching. 
So this story, I think, is definitely pointed at the early church. And so mm. what what they were dealing with here, and this is this is why people actually late date Mark, like put him well after the and then everybody else after the fall of the second temple too, because you have the idea, the controversy of of the Christians. And so not being honored in the space, especially in the synagogues. I think is what mm -hmm. is what this is pointed to right. that even in your even in your hometown you're not honored um no matter what which people use oftentimes to just justify uh their behavior mm -hmm. it's not accepted yet this was more about preaching Jesus in the synagogues of of the of the the dispersed Jewish population after the after the Everybody good? Lost your last little bit, Jake. There, <laughs> repeat that last sentence. The the writer of Mark. Me? There you go. Yep, keep going. You're good. <laughs> the writer of Mark speaking to the New Testament church about teaching in the synagogues. That's what I got. That's it. Yes, okay. All right. Wow. Yeah, having a little trouble tonight, but we'll make it through. We're we're getting most of it. So anything, Shrey, you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, it's giving away the punchline to a later story a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. But later on, we're going to see um, the miracle being everyone caring for everyone else. Um and so as this passage is talking about the people's disbelief and their sin and how Jesus wasn't able to heal very many people, um, if the miracle is that we care for each other, um, I think this shows a community that is not providing that care. Right. Yeah. Okay. Good. Well, let's move on because we have a, some big sections to cover. So let's go to that next section. And what did we make it to? Verse 7, okay. that's where we're at. That's okay. the one. Yes, so the calling of the 12. He, he called for the 12, sent them out in pairs. He gave them authority over unclean spirits. He instructed them to take nothing for the journey except a walking stick, no bread, no bags, and no money in their belts. He told them to wear sandals, but not to put on two shirts. He said, whatever, your house, whatever, whatever house you enter, remain there until you leave that place. If a place doesn't welcome you or listen to you, as you leave, shake the dust off your feet as a witness against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should change their hearts and lives. They cast out many demons and they anointed many sick people with olive oil and healed them. So he gave them authority. He sent them out in 12. I mean, that 12 is an obvious, an obvious number. And so it's 
Jesus's version of maybe the the 12 I mean we see this 12 tribes of Israel and so it's a signaling again of back in maybe some Old Testament ideas and so we have the 12 disciples being sent out by pairs is there anything there that I need to be concerned about that pair two by two right that I can see a connection there but I'm not quite sure what to do with it yet well what what's your connection and let's noodle around in that okay so that idea of two by two we usually use that when we're talking about uh Noah gathering the animals right right um so Noah is a salvation story being saved through the water mm-hmm. um so I wonder if there is also an element of this being a salvation story too. Um, well, it's obviously it's a salvation story because of what they do. Mm-hmm. They're actually saving people as they go along, right? Mm-hmm. In a very tangible way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a very legitimate connection. You know, hearkening back to that Old Testament signaling back to you know, a retelling, a story. Um, I mean, we have the 12 tribes of Israel. We have two by two. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, like anybody that would know the Torah, they would go, okay, that's somewhere back there. I remember that story. Mm -hmm. Um, The the care or the Noahic covenant um, is hidden in there as well because they're being sent out into the world. um, And... God is going to bring this salvation. No longer will I do this to your people. No longer will I do this to and to care for the land and care for the people. So we see this sending out as a form of, I I would say, love, that there's some form of we're going to really love people um, with this message Mm -hmm. and with these miracles as well as we see there in the end. We see some miracles. Rob, you want to throw that up there again? These... Uh, so they went out and proclaimed that people should change their hearts and lives. They cast out many demons. They anointed many sick with olive oil and healed them. Oh, we have to go back there too, though, because we have some, some things to talk about. Like they didn't have anything with them. So we're not going to give you bread. We're not going to give you bags, no money, no belts, just a walking stick. So those, those types of, uh, those types of things just show me that you're going to get your provision basically from God or from godly people. It definitely reminds me, it definitely reminds me like the Hindu ascetics that would go out. Yeah. And just like, what do you mean? Go from town to town, not carry anything, even like even a Buddhist ascetics as well, that the, that there was a art in having nothing. And so nothing was, they weren't to be, I think it's a lack of manipulation. I think okay. if you have, if you have, you're able to, to draw more and manipulate more. There's a different power dynamic. Um, also the idea of shaking off the dust is, is an idea that this, that that house is not holy. There's no holy ground there. Um, when you look at six, the end of six, it talks about that. Mm-hmm. R six. 
Um, yeah. It definitely shows the the sending out of the twelve tribes to resettle. If we're going to right. follow that narrative through, mm-hmm. and the resettling now is is a return back of of jubilee into its into the land again like all the right. all the property goes back to the original and so well and also just to interrupt there a little bit when moses was in front of the burning bush take the shoes off of your feet mm-hmm. the shoes that are on your feet take them off because on this ground this is holy and so that idea of shoes the hebrew people had a ritual or a a celebratory type claim where they would stand on the land with their shoes and take claim so basically what that means is take off your shoes you have no claim on this holy ground this is god's land right so when they shook the dust they took their shoes off and shook the dust of their sandals that is a hearkening back to that idea that we're going to shake the dust so that becomes another ritual to say i take no claim i'm leaving this land yeah yeah that's interesting right there okay i want to go back to that um the two-way relationship though right because the disciples are sent out with basically nothing yeah um so the only way they're going to make it is if people care for them but then they go out to to heal people, to cast out demons, to also care for other people. Um, and so I think it's really important to notice that they're not coming from this position of power or of having, um, you know, all the means to be able to fix everything. It's very much an interdependence situation. Right, right. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, interdependency is is key to the 12 tribes. You know, they, they weren't necessarily connected to each other either in the 12 tribes. They weren't necessarily living all in the same, you know, mm-hmm. area. So, area, right. So they were interdependent on each other, but also they would probably be interdependent on each other's tribe too, eventually. So, good. Okay. Jake, you want to add anything more to that? I think that's settled. Okay, settled. Let's move on to that next. We're trying to make it to the feeding of the 5,000 and the walking on water. I I don't know. I think I'm missing a slide on this one. So I'm going to read the first section. No, forward, Rob. Yeah, there should be two slides on this. I'm not sure what I did. Forgive me. Okay, you're fine. Um, but the first one, okay. we'll read the first one, which is, go back, thank you. Give me a moment. Herod the king heard about these things because the name of Jesus became well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. And this is miraculous powers are at work through him. Others are saying, he's Elijah. Still, others are saying, he is a prophet like one of the ancient prophets. But when Herod heard these rumors, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has has been raised to life. He said this because Herod himself had arranged to have John arrested, put in prison because of Herodias, the wife of Herod's brother Philip. Herod married her. But John told Herod, it is against law for you to marry your brother's wife. So Herodias 
had it in for John. She wanted to kill him, but she couldn't. This was because Herod respected John. He regarded him as a righteous and holy person, so he protected him. John's words were greatly confused. John's words greatly confused Herod, yet he enjoyed listening to him. Finally, the time was right. It was on one of Herod's birthdays when he had prepared a feast for his high-ranking officials and military officers and Galilee leading residents. Herod's daughter, Herod's daughter Herodias, also named same as her mother, came in and danced, thrilling Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the young woman, Ask me whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. Then he swore to her, Whatever you ask, I will give to you, even as much as half of my kingdom. She at the banquet hall and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? John the Baptist's head, Herodias replied. Hurrying back to the ruler, she made her request, I want you to give me John the Baptist's head on a plate right this minute. Although the king was upset, because of his solemn pledge. No, not there. Uh, so he ordered a guard to bring John's head. The guard went to prison, cut off John's head, brought his head on a plate, and gave it to the young woman. And she gave it to her mother. When disciples heard what had happened, they came and took his body and laid it in the tomb. That's good, John. Yeah. Well, that's a fun story. Any thoughts for that one? Boy, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think the first paragraph makes a ton of sense. People are trying to figure out who Jesus is. Um, right. And that's kind of the big question of Mark, um, mm -hmm. whether or not we will believe that Jesus is the Messiah and whether or not we will understand what that means. Right. Um, I do still wonder why we have that big old interlude about John after that. <laughs> So could this be a later edition? That's an honest question because we do have later editions to Mark. So was, was the point made in the first handful of verses and then that narrative afterwards is just, Hey, we want to add more to the story or we found more to the story to include. By the way, this is what happened to John. <laughs> yeah, it's like this. I mean, Jake calls them, what do you call them? Scribal glosses. I mean, was that just written in the margins at some point and we just added it in later? Um, so I think it has more to do. I don't know. I, I mean, honestly, we aren't, we don't, we're going to take a giant guess at this one. Right. Could it could it be added later? Sure, why not? Could sure. but I don't know why why it would be necessary for anyone later to know that information. Um, right. what it makes sense to most about is how Herod was not supposed to have power to kill anyone. Mm. He was That's he true. was just yeah. he was just a puppet king out there having mm -hmm. a good time, um, and so. The idea of a manipulation of power dynamic of of overstepping his bound as a puppet king for Rome um, definitely is playing out. I'm 
I would be interested to see what Herod's and are also Herod's children, what their role was in the Jewish uprising that was going to happen pretty soon. And so it, it might better tell of, of John the Baptist. Um, also, I, I don't know if we talked about John the Baptist earlier. Um, we oftentimes so, put John the Baptist as a as this crazy man in the desert, mm-hmm. where actually yeah, we'll he he lived that, yeah. he lived like a king, and so wild locusts and honey um, it was a seasonal a seasonal delicacy that um, you had to have money to be able to eat all year round. the The skin of camels was a king cloak, and so it is fitting that Herod would cut off the head of another king. Hmm. Party I trick? I might have oh. Party trick? Oh. Is that what you said? <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, like weird stuff is written in ancient literature that's just freaking weird. So like, you know, we got, uh, I mean, we got the daughter request. I mean, is this like, I mean, how old is his daughter? I don't think it Came says. Came in and danced, thrilling Herod. The king said, ask me whatever you wish. Give me John the Baptist's head on a plate. I mean, that just, that just is kind of a weird request. Unless John the Baptist is a threat, a real threat. I mean, can we see this as possibly a signaling forward? I've, because we yeah. have a tomb. We have Herod killing somebody that's like, why are we killing this person? You know, I mean, is this a signaling forward to the crucifixion, maybe? I think it's showing the path that Jesus is on. Um, mm-hmm. Because later on, we see the disciples get the word right, where they're like, oh, you're the Messiah. And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm going to die. And they're like, no, the Messiah can't die. Right. <laughs> right. So I, I think Doing... it's sprinkling that in. Doing just a very quick deep dive a a very quick deep dive so herod wouldn't have had so herod the agrippa the first or herod agrippa the second neither of them would have put would have been around during jesus's death right so if you date if you date jesus's death like 33 35 uh, ce uh herod agrippa the first served from 41 to 44 CE. Okay. So well afterwards. Then you have Herodias and Herod Agrippa II, which was uh, then later shortened to just, just Agrippa. But this story is not telling, is telling more, I think, to the, the Jewish revolt and not to anything with, with, mm with Jesus or John the Baptist. So possibly this is a later edition just based on that. Well, I mean, I, I don't think it needs to be. It just, it would need to make sense and have context to the readers. Party trick. It's a party trick, sure. <laughs> but it, it, it shows the, I think the perversion, because what Agrippa was trying to do was mediate against Rome and the Jewish rebels who were uprising. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, but he was, 
he was definitely a Roman a Roman pawn, right? He was a pawn king, right. just a um, right. I afraid they called him, but we'll call him pawn king. And puppet, puppet king, a puppet king. There it is. Thanks, puppet right. king. So that would have been so looked down on by yeah. most mm-hmm. Jews. Mm-hmm. And so the the idea here is like this showed the perversion of of the ruling class. I think also yeah. could. Sure, why not? Boy, that is not. There's nothing over spiritualized, metaphysicalized metaphysics there to really talk about. I, I mean, so. that is just head on a plate at a dinner party. Mustard seed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is feet on the ground talk right there. I don't. I don't see any any hyper spiritual great uh, concepts we can really pull out of that. But the next story, Jake, take it. We need to get. Well, through I, this, I read. Uh, I read the last one, but we only, we only have like three. Okay. All right. Next one. Right. Yep. That's it. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him everything they had done and taught. Many people were coming and going, so there was no time to eat. He said to the apostles, come by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while. They departed in a boat by themselves for a deserted place. Many people saw them leaving and recognized them, so they ran ahead from all the cities and arrived before them. When Jesus arrived and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. Late in the day, his disciples came to him and said, This is an isolated place, and it's already late in the day. Send them away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy something to eat for themselves. He replied, you give them something to eat. He said to them, how much bread do you have? Take a look. After checking, they said, five loaves of bread and two fish. He directed the disciples to seat all the people in groups as though they were having a banquet on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. He took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up to heaven, blessed them, broke the loaves into pieces, and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Everyone ate until they were full. They filled 12 baskets with the leftover pieces of bread and fish. About 5,000 had eaten. So before we get into this, I just want to say this, that... We have to remember that Jesus is, again, ushering in Jubilee, but he's also speaking um, and teaching in a way, and the book of Mark teaches in this way, of tearing down systems. So there's this idea of tearing down religious systems that we see in the thread all the way through the Gospels, all all the Gospels. teach the tearing down of what Shreya calls empire. So it's just empire. So we are working towards that decentralization of power. And what the religious people did of the day is they basically shrunk the Torah down to a to a condition 
or a system where it could flourish amongst the basically like couldn't excuse me couldn't flourish amongst the uneducated couldn't flourish amongst the poor it was couldn't elitist flourish. it was a very elitist type uh religion they took all of the mustard seeds and they totally turned it into a metaphysical exercise where we go to the temple we perform rituals that were just metaphysical um and if you couldn't afford that if you couldn't travel to that or if you couldn't participate in that or if you were othered that religion was too elite for you so now we have this expansion where jesus is coming along expanding that religion and and like casting the seeds farther um and that's a threat as well we have the system that's very polished but now jesus is like healing people that are othered and coming alongside of people that he shouldn't come along aside and sending kind of a new Israel out with the 12. So, so before we get into this story, just really quick, I just want to say that, that Jesus is basically de de decentralizing um, and doing his own deconstruction of the religion that, uh, well, he's, he's been a part of. So, Go ahead, and Jake. You're you're the expert on the feeding of the five thousand. So I, take, I, take I don't know about ex expert, but the so you have any way that you take this story, I think is fine. You can you can think that Jesus fed five thousand men, including women and and not including men, women and children, and so let's just say fifteen thousand. Uh, the idea is. Could Jesus have blessed the the five loaves and two fish? I forget right now. I'm, my my brain's a little spacey. Could he have blessed it and and broke it all and divvied it out and some magical and metaphysical thing happened where everyone just partied hard lavishly? Now, sure. To, to bring to bring just a reality, what you're saying. Most people have been taught this message that way. Yeah, and so. It is a fair, I think, what do we call the exegesis of the text? It's, it's a fair look at it and saying Jesus performed a miracle. The miracle was even connected to the kingdom of God where everyone will be filled. So much that there is so much surplus that every, every man, woman, and child will have more than they have need. That is the first way to look at it. Mm -hmm. The second way is to look at it through the lens of, of hospitality. That... Jesus was trying to to change culture from being very self-centered, self-centric, flipping it upside down into being other-centric. And so the entire crowd of 5,000 people, plus women and children, could not possibly only have the loaves and the fishes that Jesus got, Right. And so also it would not be a very Jewish person at the time thing to do to travel anywhere without known sustenance. Right now we have the ability to go and travel anywhere and we know that there's going to be food along the way. But these people lived in a pre McDonald world 
And so they had to plan their meals accordingly. They had to know that they were able to eat. They had to know that they were going to survive and have shelter and, and water. And the those people had food on them no matter what. Mm-hmm. And so instead of turning people away, what Jesus asked is that we just let people in. And so as we open up our baskets, all of us, as Jesus bro- broke bread, had a very communion-esque time, Eucharist, where he broke the bread and passed it out amongst the people. Right. Others, others shared that free meal as well, where they opened up their own baskets and they handed it out. So much so that people at the group, the, the, uh, wow, the sum of the parts is greater than the whole, right? Right. And so mm-hmm. as, as everyone gave and everyone opened up and only took what they needed and as they, and what they needed, they made them full, then there was surplus. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is that if we keep hoarding our things, if we keep hoarding our wealth, our possessions, our time, our emotions, that that we will not live in surplus, we'll still live in scarcity. And so Jesus is trying to teach his people to move from scarcity into surplus. So would you say surplus or enough? Surplus. Okay. Enough for the individual, but then surplus that for the others. There is there is more than there is more than anyone has need as long as people share. And so that's the, that's really the idea of hospitality. Um, anything with the, the prefix of H O was an institution of the church. So hospitals, hostels, hospitality, hotels, right. um, hospice, anything mm-hmm. else I'm thinking of. That's enough of examples. Yeah, I can. And so, and it's slipping me in exactly what, what that Latin root is. But the idea is that it's the holy place. It's the place right. where where those come for healing, where those come for shelter, where those come for even even the the transfer into death in hospice. That the, the early church was responsible for that. And with hospitality it's the opening up of oneself. So could I say then that this for the the casting of the seed farther that 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 religion is not just for an elite group that the religion is for everyone and so we're going to cast that seed as far out as possible so this story basically is you know the food that we have the the amount that we have is might be for two or three liters right but we need to feed everyone. And so, so everyone there of all types, man, woman, child, all adults and children, they're present of all so socioeconomic, possibly mostly though poor, possibly maybe some onlookers that had a, a, a some, but enough, the people that were there had, um, what you're saying is they had food on them. There's no way that they wouldn't. Right. So they had the means. Some people had the means. 
And it's a yeah. lesson that we move from, I don't need to hoard this food or I need only to hoard anything that I don't need to live in that scarcity. I can take enough for myself and the surplus that I have, I can give to the, to others so that they can have enough as well. Mm -hmm. that's great. So that's moving from metaphysics to mustard seed to me. Yeah. That we can just Definitely. miracleize the story or we can humanize. It moves from ideas to individuals. Well, if we only look at it that Jesus was able to feed, that gives yeah. us nothing to do. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And I think that when we read scripture, it needs to call us to do something. Well, absolutely. Do you think that this is a decentralizing scripture passage? In what sense? Well, it's like a weakening, like they're like Jesus is weakening the temple. Mm. Uh, go ahead, Shreya. Uh, I don't know about the temple, but um, like when people are able to care for each other then the empire has less power over them right yeah so if it's... i go back to our original stories we see crossing over water back and forth as the water is power and jesus has dominion even over the power of the deep we see then giving the woman back power right as she has been weakened with power and then now taking uh well i don't know about that john the baptist story but if we if we if oh the, we got the sending of the of the 12 so giving them power resending them right so mm -hmm. in empowering them then we have this weird inclusion of john the baptist so so we'll skip over that one. And then we have this one, a decentralization, but giving these people power. Mm -hmm. Fair? It's fair, I think yeah. so. Good. All right. Can well, I... we have a... What you uh, say? Another layer? A Sabbath yeah, layer? Yeah, please. Just layer it um, Because at the beginning of this story, the disciples had just gone out teaching and healing and everything. And they're probably pretty tired because they've been doing a lot of walking. Um, yeah. And so Jesus invites them to a secluded place to rest because more people are coming. The disciples haven't eaten yet and they're trying to get away and they can't. The crowd heads them off. So everybody is tired. Everybody is hungry. Um, and the disciples eventually are like, Jesus, send them out into the villages so they can buy food. Um, and instead of sending the people away, instead of um, having them participate in the economy, Jesus invites everybody to sit down and to share what they have. Um, and so when we've talked about Sabbath being a way of providing rest for others, um, when we talk about Sabbath as not participating in the economic system, because that demands that somebody else do work for me. Right. Um, 
I think we see a picture of that in this story too, um, a refusal to engage in systems that don't let people rest. Mm. Mm -hmm. And sharing is not one of those systems. Right. Gener gen when we give away what we already have, the work has already been done. And so this is what I would call an interruptive Mm -hmm. It interrupts the system. Sabbath mm -hmm. as resistance. <laughs> right. Walter Brueggemann. Hmm. Any other layers to that? Um, yes. Okay. So the, when you read, uh, Israel's national narrative, especially like in, in Judges, Kings, the, um, 5,000, uh, were those that were killed in war. Right. And so over and over again, battles, 5,000 men were cut down, um, like the ambush and Beth Ale. And then 5,000 men were cut down along the roads in Judges 2045. Right. Um, you can, you, you should connect those two together. I think it'd be. It, so it would it be from death to life. Is that a, from a death to life like connection? And this entire, this entire section, all chapter six has been from, from death to, to life. So just that hmm. inclusion of 5,000, we see 5,000 people dying in war now we see 5000 people having enough sharing this kingdom generosity yeah the only reason for war is extreme scarcity right right well i would say that jesus then is the first constructionist i mean he took the system and deconstructed it and now we're constructing something different. I mean, if you look at these passages that you see them interruptive, I'll call them Kairosology. This is Kairosology, where you're looking at events, God events, and looking at the theology of those, but also the interconnective tissue of what happened in the past, what's happening in the present, and what's it signaling um, in the future. And that brings a lot of meaning to the Bible, especially like this book, the book of Mark. So tonight, I hope you, um, those of you listening and those that will listen this week, uh, got some good ideas and some practical thoughts out of that. And so the message or the mustard seed theology is going to be generosity, is going to be um, sharing, is going to be looking at empire, not participating, looking at Jesus as the supreme power, like we see in Hebrews, that Jesus is above all, even the angels, even those that delivered the messages to Moses, um, that we have this Jesus is greater, is, is greater than. So with that, thanks both of you for participating tonight and giving some really clear and awakening thoughts a little bit of radical theology in there, I would say, and um, really pleased with tonight's discussion. So uh, we are going to continue the book of Mark next week. 
If you want to connect in and you're listening and you're not a part of Resonate, you can go to ResonateLife.org and learn about us there or join our Facebook page. You can learn about us there as, as well. So thanks both of you again. And with that, we're going to sign off. Good night, everybody. Thanks for joining us.